You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 819 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Thursday. And today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. The majority of today's episode will be part one of a two-part conversation that I had with Zach Milner of Stepping About the NBA Draft that is now coming up, of course. That will be uh, in the near future on the podcast. But before we get to that, there is one draft-related news I'd have to touch on on today's podcast, as the Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported on Wednesday that the NBA now has a target date, and it's not it's not official at this point in time, but a target date reportedly for the NBA draft to be rescheduled too. As of now, it is still scheduled for October 16th, although that's not going to happen, as I mentioned earlier on in this, in this week. But Woj reports that November 18th, November 18th, November 18th, uh, just about one, one month delay from where it actually is now, um, is the new target date, but he did say that the Board of Governors and the General Managers of around the NBA are meeting this week. Nothing is finalized at this point in time. In fact, the leaks in a memo around teams saying that this this potential date would be uh, good for them and that it sort of allows for prep and a combine potentially and some more time for CBA stuff, but it hasn't even been proposed to the NBA, NBA Player Association just yet. That's a big uh, hurdle to jump through. And regardless, um, actually could actually could go, could go even further than this. I've heard varying reports along this uh, last few weeks about the draft and rumblings back of about, about December. This is mid-November. We'll see if that actually sticks, but that's the new projected date, the first time that's been publicly reported by anyone, and uh, put a pin in that for now. Woj also doubled down on what I said earlier this week on the podcast, and that teams just flat out do not want to have the draft without the cap certainty that they uh, are definitely desiring in advance of the draft and free agency. I'm going to read a quote to you now from the piece that Woj wrote on Wednesday. And I quote, Teams have significant concerns that a mid-October draft would leave them without the necessary information on future salary caps to conduct the typical draft night business of trades, buying and selling picks, and selecting of players. End quote. So basically, like I said, teams do not want to have the NBA draft without without that certainty. And the and negotiations have not really kicked up just yet, as the season is still going on down in Orlando. So, for now, November eighteenth is a potential date, and that if that changes, I will update you on the podcast. But there you go on that. A couple of things before before we get to Zach. Um, I want to plug a few things on the podcast. Uh, please check out the entire Locked On Podcast Network. It's been fun to be a part of it, but uh, all kinds of shows up and down the network from Locked On Falcons. If you're local, Locked On Braves as well as national stuff on the basketball world, Hollinger and Duncan, lots on NBA, Rejecting the Screen, etc. Lots on Fantasy Basketball, all kinds of different podcasts for you to check out. Um, please follow me on Twitter if you'd like to do that, at BT Roland, or follow the show on Twitter, at Locked on Hawks, as well as please, please, please subscribe to the podcast via your platform of choice. It's been huge for, for a lot of you to go ahead and do that, so thank you so much for uh, your patronage. But if you've not done that just yet, go ahead and jump on board right now. Okay, before we get to Zach, a couple of words from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is rockauto.com. Chain stores often have different price tiers for pro mechanics to do it yourselfers, but at rockauto.com, prices are always the same for everyone. They're always reliably low. Instead of changing prices on what the market dictates, like airlines often do, rockauto.com 
simply presents the lowest prices possible. No matter what kind of car or truck you might have, rockauto.com has everything you need in just a few easy clicks, and they'll have it directly to your door by delivery. The rockauto.com catalog is also very easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your car or truck and choose the brands, the specs, and the prices that you prefer. RockAuto.com is for everybody. It does not require membership or an account login of any kind. And best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always low and always the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers. So why spend up twice as much for the exact same auto parts? Go to RockAuto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck from there. You want to write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Today's podcast is also brought to you by the good folks at DoorDash. You want Chinese food, they want pizza, and somebody else in the group is craving dessert, but fortunately, there's something for everybody on DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right now, right to your door, and ordering is so very easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting as DoorDash aims to keep your community safe. DoorDash has over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Canada, Australia, and Puerto Rico. You can support all of your local go-to restaurants or choose from your favorite national chains. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when downloading the DoorDash app, and from there you want to enter the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. That is $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store, enter the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Don't forget that's code LOCKEDONNBA for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Zach, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. How are you feeling in this uh, mid-September uh, dead zone in terms of NBA draft coverage? I'm doing all right. Uh, there's still, still, there's always film to watch. Uh, can't complain about that. It's nice to be able to watch some NBA playoffs as well. But thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And yeah, there is still film to watch. And this is sort of the endless draft cycle uh, that we are in. And now it's going to be even longer by all accounts. So we're all trying to do what we can do to keep things uh, to keep things fresh on this draft cycle. I want to ask you before we dive into some players, kind of what your thought is on this whole class. I know everyone kind of agrees it's not about the greatest class in the world, but how do you sort of feel in general about the way it stacks up? And then, of course, through the Hawks prison, maybe a little bit later. But are you in agreement with everybody else? This is not exactly the most exciting class that's almost made worse by how many times we've seen all these players. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not the most exciting class. It's a little disappointing. Um, I don't think it has that good of depth either, which I think some others say it has some depth. I think the difference between my thoughts there and others is that I think that the depth is more of like a misevaluation where people are going to fall instead of there being so many good players. So if I think someone's a top 20 guy, but he goes in the 40s, I'm not sure that's considered depth or not. But but yeah, I think the one strength of this class is probably there is guard depth. I'll say that. Um, but overall, uh, it's, it's a little disappointing. Yeah, there does seem to be some guard depth, and uh, teams could find some value as a result of that. The top is where we'll start, I guess, uh, ahead of where the Hawks are picking. Uh, obviously, this is the spot where I think there's almost been the most uh, frustration in this class about there not being that uh, those, those several top, top, top-tier guys. Um, do you have a clear number one? And we can transition a little bit into what you think Minnesota might do and what Golden State might do as well. But what's your sort of top-tier or top-guy look like? Um, I, I've started off with Ant as my number one early in the year, and I'm starting to lean towards LaMelo now. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's, I think some people are a lot more confident or not confident, but more sure about one being a clear top prospect over the other. I still think it's somewhat close, although I think I lean LaMelo now. Um, but I would have those two and I, I like Killian Hayes as well, but he's not, 
doesn't seem like he's going to be going in the top three. So, yeah, that is also my top three, uh, and I think Killian. We've all talked about, and we'll bring him back up later on. We talk about the Hawks, but Killian is a guy that I think a lot of people that I trust really like and have in their top three or four. And then you look at uh, where the league appears to be in the Intel side, and he's lower for whatever reason. But we'll come back to him for sure. Um, so you said you're leaning a little bit toward Lamelo. Uh, I also lean that way. I have him number one, but. I guess my question about LaMelo, and then we can talk about the player as well, is, you know, where does he sort of stack up? Where do these where do these two guys, I should say, LaMelo and Ant, stack up for you in terms of a traditional pursuit of the number one overall pick? Because that's kind of interesting to me when you try to slot these guys into what a normal class looks like or what an average number one overall pick looks like. It feels like the consensus is those guys are a little bit lower, but do you feel that way as well? Like, where, where do these guys sort of stack up for you? Yeah, I definitely uh, agree that uh, I think they're a little lower than a what we've seen recently with the number one picks, but at the same time, I mean, like it's, it's hard to compare someone to Zion. So it's unfair to do that. But yeah, I, I do think they're a little bit below what we've seen at number one recently. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, in terms of Mello specifically and the Wolves at the number one overall pick, if we have him number one, and I do, sounds like you do as well. Can that work in your mind? Obviously, they're committed to D'Angelo Russell. Um, how much, I guess more, almost philosophically, how much does that kind of fit stuff play in? Or is it at number one overall, you just take the guy you think is the best player unless there's an absolutely critical fit issue? Um, how do you sort of stack up and look at that? Yeah, with them, I think you just go whoever you think is the best player. So if they think it's Lamelo, they go with him. Um the, the defensive backcourt of him and D'Angelo Russell will definitely be brutal, especially with Carl Anthony Towns behind them. It would be definitely something to watch on defense, but I think you just figure it out after you make the pick and whether it becomes the you, you see who doesn't fit there and you have to trade one of them or something. But I think you just get the best player available, a talent with a number one pick, and to go from there. How do you feel about Mello's defense because you mentioned the defensive fit that's obviously a big concern uh he's been bad to this point in time but there are some tools there he is of course pretty long for a point guard um there's some basketball intelligence built in there but he also has never played defense really in his life uh do you think he's going to be a career you know sharp negative defensively or do you buy that he might be able to be uh, okay or better no I, I think he can be better than better than uh like this an all-time bad defender um how he's he's been pretty bad so far um, but you still see some flashes of instincts. Um, it's just it's a lot of laziness on that end. And while sometimes you can't fix laziness, I, I think that he can at least help that a little. I, I don't think he's going to be Alonzo level on defense. Um, but no, he, he can definitely improve on that end. Yeah, I think I think the feel just tells you enough to where he can figure it out. And he's never been coached to play defense either, which probably helps. Granted, that doesn't mean it'll, it'll definitely solve it, but I, I kind of buy it to some degree. I mean, offensively, I think everyone agrees about the passing uh, and the playmaking. Uh, the, I guess the big question there is his jump shot. Where do you sort of stand on Mello as an offensive prospect, uh, and do you think he's going to shoot enough and make enough for that to be a real weapon for him? Yeah, so before I get into the shot, just the passing is ridiculous. Like, the yeah. creativity in his passing is – that's why that I've started to lean his way, because even without – a great shot I just think that he his handles are so great and his passing is so creative that he could still find ways to create advantages for his teammates um even if if people are trying to force him to shoot I think he could still figure that out to a certain extent at least so so that's why I've leaned him a little more just because of how 
good the passing is. He has behind the back pocket passes or between the like pocket passes. It don't make sense, and he just makes them. Um, in terms of his shot, though, I, I think that he's a better shooter than the percentages have shown so far. Um, he has gotten a little bit better with mechanics there as well, but I can't come in and tell you I'm 100% confident in him becoming a, a shooter. But I do. I, I wouldn't rule it out, and I probably would lean that it will at least be respectable. Yeah, and I guess the follow-up before we move off of Lamelo is what what happens if he doesn't figure out a jump shot? Because that's a question that I've been wrestling with. I don't worry too too much about it because he is he does have the size, and you mentioned the playmaking, the passing. I love all of that. But what does he sort of look like as a fully formed player if the shot doesn't come around in your mind? If the shot doesn't come around, I think you sort of have to hope the defense gets better, and he could use his IQ on that end as well to become. Um, not a negative on that end because like I said, I still think he can create advantages with his handle and with his passing where he makes such quick and ridiculous passes where he'll get through tight spaces. So if the shot doesn't come around, I think it's just using his passing and just getting better on defense and then he could still have an impact. It probably wouldn't be to the level of a number one pick, but it wouldn't be a complete bust either. Yeah. I I tend to agree with that. Um, Moving to Ant a little bit, uh, you know, He's a local product, of course, in Atlanta. Hawks fans, I still get questions almost every day about the Hawks trading up for Ant. There is certainly a segment of the population that would love for the Hawks to make a big splash, go out and get Ant. I I don't love that idea, just candidly. But uh, what do you make of him as a prospect? What are you worried about? What are you really excited about, about Edwards? Like, how does he also stack up? Yeah, so I really like his shot making. Um, I think that that's not easy to find. And while you don't want to, necessarily overvalue shot making I think seeing in the playoffs having people who can make shots in the half court is pretty important um so so that brings value um at the same time the decision making isn't always there he's also lazy and those are probably my, my two concerns with him more and I think he also should be able to get to the basket more than he does with his size yeah, that's something that drives me crazy. I think it drives everybody crazy if you watch him enough is that he just doesn't attack enough. And that, that might change when he gets to the NBA and is in a better role and is coached and uh, kind of realizes that he ha- is gonna, I think he's going to have to do that. But uh, that is a big swing for me on Edwards is just, you know, is he going to figure out that he settles too much and just go to the rim? Because he is pretty impressive when he attacks. It's just that he, he didn't do it enough. And that's one of those frustrating things about him because I don't know if you feel this way, but there are times when I watch him for an hour and I'll be all in again. And then there are times when I'll watch him for a half hour and I'll be all out again. And he's that kind of prospect for me, which isn't a, it's not, not the worst thing in the world. And I still have him in the top two, but he can be maddening. Yeah. I mean, if you go back and just watch the second half of that Michigan State game from earlier in the year, that, that really could have been the best half we saw from any prospect all year, if we're being yep. honest. It's just ridiculous half from him. And in terms of shot making, had some nice passes. And, and you can see why people like him so much. But that's just even if it was one or two halves of the year, like can you rely on that consistently is the question. And the other concerns like the laziness or the unwillingness to attack has to be brought up. Yeah, and last thing on Edwards, but uh, how do you feel about his defense? Because he, he looks like a, like, like a guy who'd be a great defender. He's a really good athlete, obviously. He's strong. Uh, there are a little bit of flashes on that end of the floor, but for the most part, it was pretty bad this year, in my opinion. How much do you worry about that end of the floor for Edwards, especially like through the prism of teams like Minnesota, if they were considering him, putting him next to Russell and Towns might not be any better. It actually might, be, might actually be worse than LaMelo even. Yeah, so, so it's tough. I hate bringing up being lazy again because I've said it multiple times already, but 
him and I, I just think that him and also Lamelo just have been lazy on that end. And um, like you said, he has the nice physical tools to defend. Um, he has some nice flashes on instincts on that end as well, but he just looks lost at times. And at the same time, you look at someone last year with John Morant, and he looked lost at times. He seemed he didn't care on defense. And while he wasn't a good defender, he wasn't as bad as he was in college this year. So I think you have to not look past it, but you also have to to give some room for, for growth there. Or just maybe they just weren't trying as much in college, which which is tough. But you never know. I think John Morant's a good one to look at as an example. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, okay, well, I want to move off of the top two guys for now, because for the most part, the Hawks, barring some... Uh, big swing. We're not going to get one of those guys. Uh, I do want to ask you, sort of broadly speaking, and we will get to the guys who are often mocked and projected the Hawks in a minute, but do you have a guy or two that you seem to be really high on in this class compared to everybody else? It could be a second rounder, it could be a late first rounder. How, however you f- sort of view that question, do you have a couple of favorites that you find yourself being uh, more aggressive on this class? Yeah, I, I have a few. I think the main one would be Grant Riller this year. Um, Charleston, I think that he's definitely been underrated. I know he's he's old for a guard and he's in a not a strong conference, but just the offensive skills he he has even at his age is very impressive. And I'm not I'm not sure that even some of the players in college that are freshmen would even have what he can do in three years on the offensive end. So so while there are concerns with the level of competition and his defense hasn't been great, I think his offensive skill set is really good. And to me, he's a lottery player, top twenty player. Um, and I wouldn't even question top 10, but he might not even get picked in the first round. So I'm a really big Grant Riller fan. Yeah, I, I like Riller too. Maybe not as much as you do, but I definitely see how it works. I mean, he's one of the rare guys that will be drafted outside the lottery that you could maybe see as a primary offensive initiator for a team. Is that is that sort of the thought process that behind liking him? Obviously, the skills and the, the numbers were great in college. I know he's old, but is that sort of why you like him more is that you could just see him being that kind of primary guy? Yeah, exactly. And Early on in his college career, he played a little bit more off ball where he was um, making spot up shots, although he still played on ball. He showed how he can play off the ball. And then these last two years, he really showed um, improvements in his passing where he started to make more advanced reads or not if they were that advanced, but he would make skip passes. And that's why I have more faith of him on initiating offense, because I think he can play on ball and off the ball, which will fit next to a lot of players. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, the age thing with him and Obi Toppin are the guys that everybody talks about for age all the time. Uh, I always mention it. It's not disqualifying for either of them. Uh, it's just interesting. Like, how much do you weigh age in terms of projection, just knowing, like, second contract concerns, et cetera? How much of that is a factor for Riller and Toppin and guys who are, you know, everyone seems to be so, you know, in, in the modern NBA draft, everybody's usually pretty darn young, and then you have these guys who feel like outliers, even though, you know, 20 years ago they wouldn't be outliers, but now they do feel like they're super old. Yeah, I think that I don't, not that I don't take into account age, but I think that I take it into account less than others. I mean, last year, Cam Johnson was one of my favorite players in the draft, and at one point, he was projected to go in the mid-40s, and I thought he was a lottery pick. He ended up going 11 to Phoenix, which is a little a little higher than I thought he would go. But like, come the time of the draft, he was supposed to go in the 20s. So um, I, I don't mind the age. If, if someone's talented, I don't mind it. And we saw Cam Johnson this year. I mean, he had some injury problems throughout the year, but when he played, he was really good. And especially in the bubble with the Suns being amazing, he was came into the starting lineup and really produced for them. So I think age can sometimes be taken into account too much by people when sometimes it's just they're just they're talented it's that simple yeah that makes sense 
Um, is there another guy or two that you want to mention that you like, or is uh, is Riller your just your guy in capital in capital letters in this class? <laughs> There's other guys. I, I think Grant Riller would be like the guy that I will like say is who I like the most. Um, but no, someone like Desmond Bain I like a lot, although he doesn't seem to be where the Hawks would pick. Or Tyshawn Alexander, if if he does fall towards the end of the second, um, he's someone that. I'm not a big fan of comparisons, but one I have made one with him where he's sort of like a Contavious Caldwell Pope kind of player where he, he he's not as good as a movement sh- shooter at Contavious Caldwell Pope, and he's not as good as a defender, although he's still a really good defender. He's just one of those guys who has similar similar size, similar length, who can play off the ball and shoot, and is also a good defender. And I like him. I think he'd be interesting in Atlanta next to Trey Young or um, even – Trent Forrest is like an undrafted guy that I like, although his question is his shot. Um, his his question is his shot, although he has a nice touch. He has improved his free throws over the last couple of years, and I, I've heard really good things about him from like as a personality standpoint. Uh, but I would, as a two-way player, I think Trent Forrest is someone to look at as well. Yeah, Forrest is a guy who uh, everyone's forgotten about because he's playing next to Dem Vassell and Patrick Williams. Those guys are obviously more prominent Florida State players. I like Trent Forrest, too, in that later range. And Tyson Alexander is a guy that I have circled. Not that he's the only one, but um, I have this sort of short list in my mind of guys where one of them, maybe two of them, maybe falls to Atlanta at 50. Uh, Alexander's on that list. I really like him a lot. Not a, not a terribly sexy prospect, but someone who I think can be a quality role player for a long time. And I think he's in that range where... Like 50, it's so hard to figure out who's going to be available at 50 that I ask everybody this question and it's, you know, you're trying to figure out what the Hawks could do in that range. They could also just sell the pick or, you know, take a, take a stash guy. But Alexander would be near the top of my list along with like, you know, Bain's not going to fall that far anymore. There was a thought where I, there was a time where I thought Bain was going to fall that far maybe and that's not going to happen anymore. Mercifully, he should not fall that far. But like your Killian Tilly types, like your home runs that uh, the league needs to be a little bit lower on would be fun for that range. But I am a fan of Alexander as well. Yeah, I was going to bring up Killian Tilly as well, but but yeah, I don't think Tyshawn Alexander should fall that far. Um, if he, he does, not. I agree. <laughs> if, if he does, if he does, great for Atlanta. But yeah, I uh, for the Stepian, I actually wrote a little section on him, and I, I put together clips of him next to Contavious Caldwell Pope, and they actually you can see the you can see the similarities between the two, and they sometimes run the same action. And Contavious Caldwell Pope, like I said, he's ran off screens more. He's a better off-movement shooter, but Tyshawn Alexander has shown those flashes. So if he can just continue working on those, he's also an underrated passer. So there's a, there's a lot to like about him. Definitely should not be falling to 50, where the, where the Hawks pick in the 50s. But if, they, uh, if he does, great for the Hawks. I know you mentioned guard depth earlier, and I've had that thought as well. There's so many interesting, you know, guards in this class that I feel like inevitably one of them is going to fall unexpectedly 250 just because of how many there are like these high profile college guys guys like Alexander is not like a point guard but it's certainly uh, you know a combo guard size player there's all kinds of depth there do you feel like the same way I do that there's just almost too many of them where some of them are going to almost have to fall outside the top 45 yeah there there's there's a lot where there's going to be one that falls one might not even get drafted that you expect to get drafted at this point um I think Jared Butler going back to school took took one of them out. Yep. Um, but but yeah, you have Cassius Winston, Malachi Flynn. Um, there's just so many guard depth, and I like them all. To be honest, I think that is a strength of this class. But yeah, one should fall to the Hawks or even if they, drafted. Yeah, if they want to do that, of course. And right now, they don't really have a backup point guard of the future. Uh, I know they have Brandon Goodwin. Uh, they could bring back Jeff Teague if they wanted to, but they don't have that guy penciled in. And they don't necessarily have to have a pure backup point guard. But we we saw this year uh, on full display 
what happens, what happens when, when you don't have a backup point guard in Atlanta, and it did not go well whenever Trey left the court. So that is understandably an area in which Hawks fans ask me all the time if they are willing or able to invest in a point guard in that spot. And again, at 50, um, keep your expectations pretty low, I'd imagine, if you're a Hawks fan. But at the same time, there actually could be some interesting value. And I've said this before, but there's almost always a guy that, that I have in like my top 30 that gets to 50, just because that's just the way this goes. Right. No, I agree with you. And and also with, with 50... People have to remember, like, once you get to the back of the second round, sometimes, like, some players would rather not be drafted. Decide, yeah, not <laughs> yeah. be drafted to decide on where they go. So there's so much that goes on to it once you get to the back of the draft that you, you really don't know what to expect. For sure. Uh, I'm going to ask you a process question now before we dive into the number six options. Uh, and I'm going you at the beginning. I feel like it's probably a good transition point now, though. Um, what, what sort of is your grind like when it comes to this class is obviously so weird because it's so long we've had we've all had so much time but uh you are doing other things too uh i'm, I'm sure like how, how what's sort of your approach to scouting a class from start to finish i know i'm not gonna ask you to go through your whole schedule but i'm someone that has a day job too so i'm, I'm basically just watching whatever i possibly can but how do you prioritize like how do you approach your scouting process i know it's sort of a, a broad question but i feel like it's interesting to get that insight from people that do this all the time yeah, so right, so right now I actually do have a lot of free time, so I, I'm able to spend so much time just watching basketball all day, every day, pretty much. So, so I, um, in the early on in the year, I try to, or so before season starts, I'll obviously go back and make sure I'm up to date with everyone's high school performance and everything. Then, so once the year starts, I try to stay away from, I guess, other people's opinions just so I can form my own at first more, so I don't get swayed by anyone else so I can have my first opinions and then I just consistently watch players throughout the year and you find players who certain end up um, disappointing and exceeding expectations and you just stay up to date with them this year definitely been different with how much time we've had but like I said there's still so much film to watch there's always film to watch and then also international basketball to watch as well for sure and then this you know this year obviously different for a number of reasons but also you know the lack of a tournament uh the lack of the it's probably a good thing all things considered that there's not that uh, narrative push that always happens in the mainstream with regard to the tournament guys get overvalued uh but guys didn't have a chance to like prove themselves i know i've talked to teams i'm sure you have as well that you know they're frustrated by the lack of film on the top guys in this draft. There's so many guys who either didn't play college at all, basically like Wiseman, or you have the guys who, you know, like, like LaMelo that went overseas and, that, and there was some sky trips that got canceled. There's just a, on one hand, there's less tape on some of these guys. And on the other hand, uh, everyone has so much more time. So it's just such a bizarre, I feel like we keep, we keep saying it over and over again, but it's such a bizarre draft that uh, I feel like my mind is like tied in nuts. Yeah, and, and also what I've been able to do with the more time is it gives more time to do background research and gather intel on players as well, which is very important. So so that's also a, a benefit of the uh, extended time, although I think we all would have loved the draft to happen already. But but yeah, you gotta you gotta you gotta find the, the good things. Yeah, absolutely. That is hundred uh, percent correct. All right, this is Brad coming to you from post-production to tell you that's the end of part one. With Zach Milner, we'll have part two coming early on Friday morning with all kinds of thoughts on the Hawks and what they might do at number six overall, especially. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please check out Zach's work, and we'll see you on Friday.